Going to be talking about Dave Joyce today. He's our mild-mannered congressman in Ohio, but he's under the gun from one of the Trumpers. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Courtney Astolfi, Lisa Garvin, and Laura Johnston. Lisa, Ohioans likely know Florida Congressman Matt Gates as one of the most sycophantic Trump supporters in the land, way up there in Jim Jordan territory. Why has he started a feud with Ohio Congressman Dave Joyce, who is about as mild-mannered as anybody in the Congress? Well, he didn't like what Dave Joyce had to say in a recent interview with Politico. So the Republican from Florida, Matt Gates, attacked Joyce in a video that he posted on social media and attacked Joyce for accepting campaign contributions from political action committees. And this is all because, you know, Joyce is kind of caught in the middle of a feud between Matt Gates and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who is a Joyce ally. And of course, Gates and a lot of the hard right Freedom Caucus are calling for his ouster if they if McCarthy doesn't do what they want. So um, in this Politico interview, uh, Joyce, who was also on the House Ethics Committee, said that he can't really talk about the ethics probe into Matt Gates for sexual misconduct and a whole host of other allegations. But he said the idea that Speaker McCarthy is responsible for the ethics probe of Gates is, you know, is completely false. And he pointed to media reports and he said that, you know, Gates has issues with friends down in Florida. And he says that Gates is also using government shutdowns as a springboard to move up in the GOP ranks. And there's hints that he might be running for Florida governor soon. So the video runs this interview audio underneath as Gates complains that Joyce attacked me and patriots who fund me with $100 or less, let's see who funds Dave Joyce. So Joyce admits, he says about 55% of his war chest is from PACs, but Gates has sworn never to take PAC money. He swore that back in 2020. In a later interview with Cleveland.com, Joyce kind of clapped back even more. He said, I'm just so sick of the guy. All the stuff he continues to bring up doesn't even help this body. And he says it's very disingenuous to tell people that you're doing all this stuff for them when it's not true and it doesn't move the needle. Dave Joyce is, everybody knows him. He's a nice guy. This is like a rabid foam dripping from its jaw coyote attacking a golden retriever puppy. It's just, what is Gates getting out of this by going after somebody who most members of Congress like? I mean, Dave Joyce is a guy who does work across the aisle. He's never been one of these firebrand Trumpers making ridiculous statements. He's a pretty even-handed guy pursuing his agenda. I just don't see the, the percentage in going after him. Well, and I think, you know, we say that, you know, people with allegations against him like to point their finger at somebody else, you know, but Gates says, you know, this whole fracas is not about the ethics probe against him. He says it's about term limits, balanced budget, and single subject spending bills. But he did say, I'm the most investigated man in the entire Congress. I would love to see the the fellow members in Congress who don't who like Dave Joyce kind of getting together to stop this. This is out of control. It's just completely out of control. This attack level of politics, this viper kind of stuff that gets in his crew due. And it would just be nice to see the sane members of Congress to stand up and say, yeah, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. You know, maybe even reach across the aisle to work with Democrats to get behind what, what 
what we need to do to keep the government from shutting down instead of listening to these ridiculous firebrands like Getz who don't really stand for anything except discord. And, you know, I have to give Joyce credit because a lot of moderate Republicans are keeping silent about the Freedom Caucus and the extremists in their ranks. So for him to step out and say this, I hope emboldens others to do the same thing. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. How is the Cleveland Catholic Diocese's new LGBTQ policy entering the school voucher debate in Ohio? Laura, there's a lot of debate about the school vouchers because it's been greatly expanded, multiple lawsuits, but this new policy has added a wrinkle. It has. We are spending a lot more state taxpayer dollars on school vouchers to private schools, and those include Catholic schools, because it was greatly expanded in the budget. So vouchers increased from $5,500 per student in grades K-8 through to $6,165. That directly covers families' tuition expenses, and it comes from the public schools, which would otherwise get this money. And it's available to a lot more families now. You can get a full voucher at 451% of the poverty level, or $135 $5,000 for a family of four. And that goes all the way up to about 751% of the poverty level. Uh, it's incremental at that point. So we're going to be spending, and we don't even know how much because the enrollment period is not up yet, state money on vouchers. And the Democrats are saying, hey, this is really a big boost in taxpayer funding to these schools that are making a lot of kids feel uncomfortable or unwelcome. And they say that the Diocese of Cleveland could be violating the constitutional rights of LGBTQ students on these taxpayer-funded scholarships. Republicans, they supported most of the voucher expansions. They said when parents send their kids to Catholic schools, they expect policies that would be different from other schools, and it's their choice to send them there. Yeah, this has pretty much been litigated, and the higher courts have set the tone. So I don't expect this would go anywhere. It's not with the Ohio Supreme Court, not with the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a legitimate argument. I mean, you are spending public money on something that many people see as discriminatory. And 20 years ago, I don't think courts would have upheld it, but we've turned the courts into partisan arms of whatever party they're dominated by. And so they go with the party dogma instead of the law. So I don't think these folks are going to get anywhere. No, I mean, the Democrats have no power in Columbus, so I can't see this really going anywhere. Obviously, they're using their their pulpit power here. The Scott DeMauro, the president of the Ohio Education Association, he spoke out. He said that there needs to be a debate about what's an appropriate policy because he doesn't think schools should be taking public money while potentially harming children. And he said the purpose of funding education is to ensure all students have the opportunity to receive a quality education. And that was the choice the argument with the vouchers, right? Give parents a choice. If they're not happy with their public school, we should support them going to a different school. You you wonder what would happen if there were charter schools run by groups that, that promote white supremacy. Um, and it's not based on religion. And part of their tenet was to discriminate against LGBTQ issues, how that would play out. But because this has the imprimatur of the church, especially the Catholic church, we're not really talking about it as discriminatory. We're talking about it as religious rights that, and religious freedom. Well, I mean, that kind of did come up a little bit in this debate when they were talking about vouchers, because remember, they wanted to give money to families to homeschool their kids. And we know that there are homeschools that were pushing and I, 
you know, a kind of a Nazi ideology that didn't end up passing. So I think there is a line in the sand at this point. But you're right. You could take this argument a lot of directions. Well, what I'm saying is if you take the church out of it and you still had these policies, would that still work? Or is it just because it's the church and people say, well, it's the religious tenet. So you can't really challenge that. Or take it in a completely different direction, right? A charter school or a private school that's espousing something Republicans don't like. (laughs) Would that go over very well? Yeah. Interesting. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We said this might happen last week, and we now know the answer. Does Ohio have a UNESCO World Heritage Site? And Courtney, how rare is it? Yes, Ohio does. This is a pretty special thing. This is Ohio's first UNESCO World Heritage Site, and it's only the 25th in the United States. Now, of course, we're talking about the Hopewell Ceremonial Earthworks here. Down that's it, it includes eight sites spread across Licking, Ross, and Warren counties. And now that it's got this designation, which came yesterday during a United Nations committee meeting in Saudi Arabia, now that it has this des- designation, these earthworks in Ohio join the ranks of places like Independence Hall in Philadelphia. But then, but then you know, there's UNESCO World Heritage sites all over the world. You think about like the Great Wall of of China. So it's joining the ranks of a pretty unique group of, of, of worldwide places here. Now, these earthworks are were built by Native Americans, of course, between 1600 and 2000 years ago. And we've seen local efforts here in Ohio, such as the Ohio History Connection, even join up with the National Park Service to try and get this site over the finish line and win this prize designation. I wonder if there's anybody out there who, once they retire, that that's their mission is to visit all the world heritage sites that UNESCO has determined. Lisa, you ever thinking about that? Well, I actually have a book called Sacred Places, and it's, you know, kind of uh, my little map. I've only visited a few, but, you know, yeah, I certainly could see that. That'd be cool. And, and for Ohio to have one of, you know, a couple of dozen across the planet. It's a pretty special uh, treat. Susan Glazer writes all about it. Check it out. It's on cleveland.com. And you're listening to Today in Ohio. Has the pettiness ended among our statehouse leaders? Have they put away their childish battle over who should chair the redistricting commission, which is supposed to be drawing new and fair legislative maps? Lisa, what's behind the agreement for the commission to finally meet today? Oh, my goodness. It it continues. But the redistricting commission is supposed to meet this afternoon at three o'clock. This is after a week long delay over who should be the co-chair of the commission, House Speaker Jason Stevens or Senate President Matt Huffman. So Attorney General Dave Yost weighed in. He said the commission can still meet and move to pass maps without co-chairs. He said, quote, no chairs is no roadblocks. But there's still no plan to redraw the 99 House and 33 Senate districts in Ohio, or if the Democrats will go along with any of the maps. Governor DeWine says there's almost a map. He said that the House and Senate are going back and forth, but they're close. He said there is a place to start. Secretary of State Frank LaRose previously said that this Friday, the 22nd, was the deadline for the maps. But House Minority Leader and Committee Member Allison Russo says, no, it's really mid-October. So she and Senate Minority Leader Nikki Antonio of Lakewood have not seen any overall plan. They said they've discussed some concepts, 
but they said neither of them will vote for maps that either maintain or expand the current GOP advantage, which GOP has 67 of 99 House seats and 26 of 33 Senate seats. The Democrats do have a plan. It calls for 56 of 99 House seats going to the Republicans and 19 of 33 Republicans in the Senate. That would be 11 fewer in the House and seven fewer in the Senate. I What I'm wondering is whether the Republicans are figuring, let's test the Supreme Court. The last time they went through this, Maureen O'Connor was the chief justice. She was siding with the Democrats on the court saying these are gerrymandered. Now you have the clear Republican majority. You have a chief justice who goes by party line all the time. So they may put in a worse map just to see what happens. Can we slip this past the much more friendly court? And they're still wrangling over rules. The commission has to have rules in place. It's mandated by the state constitution, and it has to have support from at least one Democrat to pass. So uh, Antonio and Russo say they're close to agreement on some of these rules, but the Democrats are balking at a Republican proposal to hold all three mandated public hearings on the same day. In 2021, they were held on three consecutive days. So bipartisan maps that are passed with bipartisan uh, approval are good for eight years. If it's passed only by the Republicans, the maps are only good for four years. Yeah, the it'll be interesting to see if they get a Democratic vote. I don't trust them based on everything that's gone on. I think they're going to try and game this system as much as possible and see how far they can go before even a very party-friendly Supreme Court pushes back. So my bet is it's going to be a much worse map than we have now. It's disappointing to hear, really, that they're that close on a map because up until now we were reporting they couldn't even pick their chairman, so they couldn't start their work. But they've been doing it in secret and they mm-hmm. haven't been working with the Democrats. What does that tell you about their motivation? You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's get back to the Catholic controversy. A week into the debate about the LGBTQ policy determined by the bishop, we're seeing clear arguments on both sides. Laura, how does this debate break down? Well, it's about it, the people who believe that the Catholic tenets that they doctrine is all they're all in and that this isn't anything new that this is what the catholic church has always believed and it's just what is they should have been believing all along and then there's a side that looks to the bible and says love is love and the church is hurting some of the people that are most marginalized in this society what what is interesting about this you know i've heard from a great many people about this and the majority, the vast majority, are disappointed in their church. They're either current Catholics, lapsed Catholics, people say they're former Catholics. But I'm also hearing from people that are devout Catholics saying that, you know, this isn't a debate. This church doctrine says X. It always has said X. And if you're going to be Catholic, it's all or nothing. You can't pick and choose what parts of the Catholic faith you want to espouse. If you are a practicing Catholic, it's all whether you agree with it or not. There's been plenty of policies that Catholics have disagreed with, but you're either all in or not. And that's an interesting concept because you and I were talking about this yesterday. You don't believe the vast majority of Catholics feel that way. In today's day and age, blind faith in any institution is a mistake that people should always be questioning authority. But that's not the Catholic doctrine. No, it's not. And after we had this conversation, I went and 
Googled around, and there was a Pew study in 2019 that found seven in 10 Catholics don't believe in transubstantiation. That's the idea that the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ that you eat and drink is actually the body and blood of Christ. And then about 18% in a different study believed that birth control was wrong. So I think if you kicked out everyone from the Catholic Church who didn't believe 100% in everything the Catholic Church teaches, you would have a very, very small church. And most people don't church shop. They don't say, what do I think I should be? They, If they are religious, they're religious in the denomination they were born into and raised into. And so I think this is making a lot of people wrestle with their faith and think about a lot of tenets of the Catholic Church. It's, But it also is raising the question of, what does it mean to be a true Catholic? Yes. What I'm hearing from people is, I, you know, I read the Bible, I read Jesus's message, I'm following that, not what some people here on earth are telling me that I disagree with because I don't think they're carrying his message. Others are saying, hey, look, the Catholic Church is the the framework and if you are a catholic you go by what they tell you it's a fascinating argument i wish we could get some essays by some people to discuss it maybe try you're listening to today in ohio the greater cleveland partnership the region's chamber of commerce has put its money where its mouth is and its drive for transparency on planned lakefront and riverfront development how courtney Yeah, so everybody's been hearing about these big plans that local leaders are pursuing to remake the riverfront and the lakefront and, you know, spruce up downtown in a bunch of other different ways. And it's hard to keep track of. I struggle to keep track of it often. And and so that's kind of what the Greater Cleveland Partnership, the region's Chamber of Commerce, is trying to do here with this new online tool that they've launched yesterday. They want to get kind of everyone on the same page and help everyone keep track of, of what's going on, what stage all these different projects are in. And, and they see their audience here for this online tool, which uses GIS mapping and a bunch of you know supplementary information about each project. GCP wants residents, businesses, governments, potential grant makers to kind of understand how different projects relate to each other. And this especially is important when it comes down to timing, urgency, and how close they each are to being shovel ready. And this is somewhat a response to feedback Cleveland leaders have received from, from say, federal and state officials who, who say they haven't really been crystal clear on Cleveland's priorities for potential funding for these, for these items. Multiple projects are competing for the same money, and hopefully this lets Cleveland prioritize what we as a region want to pursue and in what order. Well, and as a preview to tomorrow's discussion, we'll be talking about one of the ways they might pay for some of this stuff, courtesy of a story by Courtney, but you'll have to come back tomorrow for that one. You're listening to Today in Ohio. It's amazing how often we talk about the research prowess of our healthcare industry in Cleveland. It's testament to its strength. One of the worst aspects of diabetes is the cutoff of blood flow to limbs, often requiring amputations. Lisa, how has University Hospitals played such a key role in a therapy with the potential to greatly reduce those amputations? Yeah, this this therapy is called limb flow. It was pioneered by UH Harrington Heart and Vascular Institute researchers, and it just received FDA approval after they published the results of a large clinical trial. So limb flow 
is a therapy that takes a healthy vein that returns blood back to the heart and basically changes its role to an artery, which carries oxygen-rich blood from the heart and throughout the body. So this would provide a new pathway to bring blood back to the foot and other extremities that are affected by diabetes. And it, it improves wound healing, which is a huge issue for diabetics, and allowed many participants to keep their limbs. Um, Co-principal investigator, Dr. Mehdi Shishabor, says this is a real unique alternative to amputation and it provides hope to those cases that were previously hopeless. So FDA approval now means that they can save even more limbs and more lives. There are 2 million Americans at risk of amputation due to a lack of blood flow from diabetes and other issues, vascular issues. 500 patients a day undergo an amputation here in the United States. Two-thirds of diabetic amputees die within five years or less. Half of them never walk again after an amputation. So you can see where this would be a huge game changer. It's, it's interesting that you can reverse the flow of blood in a vein and it works. You would think that the interior of these vessels is designed to go in one direction only, but obviously not. And ever since you were a kid, you've heard of people with severe diabetes losing their feet and their other limbs. This is a, kind of a miracle that uh, they've come up with. I, I wonder what the cost is and how much insurance is willing to pay for it. Right. And I was curious about the exact mechanism. How do they make blood basically flow backwards? I mean, I would love to see like the nuts and bolts and how that was achieved. But and it sounds deceptively simple. You know, it doesn't require device or major surgery. So this is really good news. It's kind of like what Chicago did when it wanted to flush out the river. It reversed the whole flow of it so it would stop having this stagnancy. It's great. It's quite, I just, it's one of those that, again, our local experts are greatly advancing medicine. I don't know how many times a year we talk about this, but it's a lot. They're always in the thick of these, these huge moves. And this could change a lot of lives. So it's a big deal. A big congratulations to University Hospitals. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Tuesday was Cleveland.com's and the Plain Dealers Top Nurses event. Laura, you had a key role in it. What is it about and how did it go? It was a really cool event where we honored 11 nurses for their contributions to basically everyone to their for their dignity, their devotion. They had such inspiring stories. We had videos of a lot of them talking about why they became nurses and what has made a difference in their patients and why they continue to be nurses and what the challenge is coming. A lot of people said staffing is just a huge issue because they don't have enough staffing and that's something we're all aware of. And they believe compensation should be higher to attract more nurses to the profession. This started, this is our third year of doing this for cleveland.com. And in May, we collected nominations. We had more than 130 of them, which is pretty incredible. So they came with their families and their colleagues. And it was so nice to take a moment, step back and recognize their dedication to their, their, their amazing service. It was well attended, right? Yeah, we did. We we were at uh, Tri-C at the Jerry Sue Thornton Center, and we filled up the room there, had about 150 people, including the 11 nurses that we were honoring. And it, it ran the gamut. I mean, a lot of people who work in the hospital, but also some people in nursing homes, behavioral health, home health care, because obviously nursing has 
a, a large facet of ways that you can practice. And you could be in administration, you can do all sorts of things with the career. And I think that's what we're also recognizing is this is no longer the time, you know, when my mom graduated from nursing school, when she wore her little cap, and she had a short white skirt, right? This is, this is the grunt work the very backbone of the of the healthcare system, all the way to nurse anesthetists who are doing, you know, and, and people who are prescribing medication that only doctors used to be able to do. So it it is a impressive field and the people that were there, really great stories. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. I'm embarrassed to admit that until about six months ago, I did not know who Joey Chestnut is. He's the international celebrity for competitive eating. I'm probably one of the few people on the planet who was unaware of that. He's heading to Northeast Ohio. Pete Chikarian caught up with him to get some insights into what drives someone to eat so many hot dogs, or in our case, donuts, or other less than healthy foods. Courtney, what did he tell us? Yeah, so this is all in the run-up to this weekend. There's an event in Brunswick. It's the Johnny Appleseed Festival. Joey Chestnut's going to be competing there in their Golden Jubilee Apple Cider Donut Eating Contest. And and he made an appearance in Brunswick at the same festival back 10 years ago when he ate nearly four and a half pies in eight minutes. He's back around this time around playing against uh, amateur competitive eaters. Last time around, it was professionals. But that's kind of the groundwork for for, for why we talk to him. And, you know, like you said, P- Peter Chikarian wanted to know kind of what he thought of Cleveland and, and his return visit. Chestnut told us the whole area is pretty cool. He said he went to a Cavaliers game last time he was here, and he just described the Cleveland area as amazing. He said Clevelanders have great energy, and he was really looking forward to his return ap- appearance here. And and we also asked him how he's been kind of training for the donut event that's coming up. Um, he said he does take into account things like sugar, dairy, fat content, depending on whatever food he's training to to eat. And, and so that's been part of his run-up to this event in Brunswick. The, the, I guess everybody is aware of him. You guys all know. Oh, who he yeah, is. yeah, yeah. He's like the undisputed hot dog champion. It's, yeah. They air it every year on ESPN. It's, it's pretty gross to watch, but it's I like know, I was saying, you I, can't look away. I was in a restaurant I, I where that happened. I guess it was a rebroadcast, and I, uh, I don't get this one. I mean, that, I cannot imagine how that can be healthy for you. But hey, uh, he's an international celebrity, so there you well, go. Well, he has a concierge doctor. That was one of the things Pete asked him, right? Do you have your gastroenterologist on and speed dial? And he said that he had concierge medicine. So I guess he's at least taking care of himself. But I have to say, I had not, I did not know his name. Oh yeah, every Sorry. what is it? July Fourth, the Nathan's yeah. yeah hot dog. Is that where they do they like dunk the hot dogs in water? That's what so he, it goes that's, down easier. Yeah, that's his that's his uh, method. Yeah, there are others that do other things, but I think the woman there was one year it was a tiny because there's a woman that wins as well, and it was like a tiny Japanese woman who like didn't wasn't far behind Joey Chestnut at that point. <laughs> Amazing. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Before we go, Laura, we have not talked about this, but your town has been up in arms about a school administrator who parents have accused of bringing students to his home to drink and smoke. Uh, He's not charged with anything. He denies everything. Uh, Over the weekend, uh, the the city released a 66-page police report as a public record 
with his text messages with a whole lot of 18, 19, 20 year olds who appear to be former students, which is filled with lurid language about sex. And I mean, it's kind of, we did not publish it because we didn't want no. to traumatize the, the victims of this thing. I mean, it's really kind of horrible stuff. It's the kind of stuff that not even Hustler and it's, Hey, they probably would have printed. What's the word in Rocky River? Is Everybody worried about this. Is everybody talking about it? Everybody's definitely talking about it. On Saturday, I was sitting around a, a bonfire with my mom friends talking about it because he was the assistant principal at the high school while these things, what what people said were happening, that's when this is the time period. But then he became a principal at my kid's elementary school, the intermediate school, third to fifth grade at Kensington. So... N- I don't have any kids in high school. I have I don't know any of the kids that were involved in these incidents. But it really worries you as a parent that this is who is in charge of your kids on a day-to-day basis that this is who they go to for advice and are in charge of the the, the teachers and just, you know, around your kids all the time. And I think that's where the the discomfort is coming from in my perspective. Also though, this was the third time we have had someone in the high school leave because of problems with inappropriate relationships with kids or former students. We had a the school resource officer, police officer earlier this year. And you just got to think there's a problem with the entire atmosphere in a school. If this is, it's not just one bad apple, but you're, you're looking at a dozen, maybe not a dozen, but at least a half a dozen. Well, in this case, with Heath Horton, the administrator, the city has gone to the prosecutor's office to say, hey, mm-hmm. is he doing something wrong here? I mean, if he's bringing underage kids to his house for alcohol and smoking, then there's a likelihood he would face charges for that. Again, they deny anything like that. So it'll be up to the authorities to figure it out. But it has been a much discussed scandal yeah. in your town. And especially when, again, we were named the second best high school in the county, right? We had the school report cards came out. So everybody's like, well, it's a great school. And it's a great school academically. I'm so happy with the school system. But I'm unhappy and worried about the atmosphere in the high school if this is the stuff that could go down. Okay. That does it for the Wednesday episode of Today in Ohio. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening. Come on back Thursday. We'll be talking about the news again.